Hello, it's Vikas Pota, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for coming. You had so many choices to make today, and, and we're so happy that you're here and you chose this one. And I think you're going to really enjoy this talk. Um, I, I want to introduce to you uh, Hadi Par, uh, Parvati. Uh, is a tech entrepreneur, an investor, and CEO of the education nonprofit uh, Code.org. Um, upon graduating Harvard University with a master's degree in computer science, Hattie uh, pursued a career in technology starting at Microsoft, where he rose into the executive ranks. He founded two startups. The first was a huge success and sold for almost $1 billion. Hattie has served as an advisor or investor at many startups, including Facebook, Dropbox, Airbnb, and Uber. And in 2013, Hattie, with his twin brother Ali, launched the education nonprofit Code.org, which Hattie continues to lead full-time as CEO. Code.org has established computer science classes reaching 30% of the US students, uh, creating the most broadly used curriculum platform for K-12 computer science and launched the global Hour of Code movement that has reached over 200 million students spanning every country in the world. <laughs> now get this, he has recruited uh, top government leaders such as President Barack Obama, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, yes, and two days ago, uh, the Pope at the Vatican to participate in coding for uh, the process, the coding in order to promote it worldwide. Listen, enough of me. I turn it over to Hattie. Here we go. Thank you. So I uh, prepared a bunch of slides, not realizing that the screens are going to be on the two uh, edges of the uh, of the stage. I'm usually used to a screen that's behind me. Uh, so this is a very slide-heavy uh, conversation. So unfortunately, you'll need to look at those little screens, and I hope you can read what's on them. Uh, but I want to talk about the importance of teaching creativity as part of the classroom using computer science. Uh, I start all my presentations with a personal story, uh, a story of my own childhood. Uh, that's me growing up <coughs> with my twin brother. Uh, we grew up in Tehran, Iran, not very far from here. And when I was, I'm the one on the left, uh, we're identical twins. Uh, when I was around six years old, the country broke out into an Islamic revolution and a war with the neighboring country of Iraq. Uh, and so I spent most of my childhood in a, in a basement while our neighborhood was getting bombed. It was a terrible sort of environment to grow up in. But my, my life really turned around one day when my parents brought home a magical gift. Uh, they brought home a Commodore 64 computer, but this actually wasn't the magical gift because it had no apps, no software, no games. Uh, the real magical gift was a book to introduce me to basic programming. Uh, and you know, my father was a physicist, my mother was a computer scientist, which is very rare for women in Iran in the 1970s. But thanks to the two of them, uh, I got really good at programming that computer. So by the time we, we moved to the United States as immigrants, uh, I was already really quite good at, at computer programming, so I could start working as a programmer. Uh, and basically, I got started in my career in tech when I was 15 years old, uh, before it was even legal to work and I helped pay my way through college uh, and have had a fantastic career in tech. 
And really, I've, I'm a story, I'm an example of the American dream or the ideal of opportunity, that if you work hard enough and with a good enough education, you can build a great career for yourself. Uh, but the question about opportunity or the sort of dream of, of what you can grow up, what you can be when you grow up is really changing these days. Uh, if you consider the various sort of jobs that people plan or plan to get into or end up working in, you know, if you consider people who work at cash registers, there's even just a country like America, there's about three million people working at cash registers. Globally, it's around 50 to 100 million people in this type of work. If you think about truck drivers, there's about 100 million people globally working at driving trucks. There's about 100 million people uh, or 200 million people working in manufacturing and another 300 million people working in, in making food. These jobs combined add up to about a billion jobs in the world. All of these jobs are now being automated by technology. There's, there's the top companies in the world, tech companies like Amazon or Microsoft are working to make the job of a cash register go out of work and be replaced by, by computers. People are making trucks that drive themselves. The most, uh, the, the most job openings in manufacturing aren't for the humans, they're for people who are gonna design robots to do manufacturing. And even in food work, there's now people that are making uh, robots that make food for you. So the careers of the future are really changing. Uh, we, I don't need to tell people about technology's impact on the workforce. We read about this all the time. If you consider today's workforce, Projections are that in about eight years, 10% of all jobs will be replaced by automation. In about 20 years, it'll be more like 30% of jobs. And in about 30 years, half of all of today's jobs are expected to either be completely replaced or significantly changed by automation. And this is kind of scary because there's not a real plan in place for you know, what the next jobs are gonna be or how we're gonna prepare people for them. Uh, but it's also not all bad. If you consider one of the examples of automation, Consider the job of somebody who's a radiologist. And this, this is a person who's looking at an x-ray and trying to decide if the, if the x-ray represents a disease. Uh, and if they can look at you know, two different x-rays, one of these is an x-ray of healthy lungs and the other is an x-ray of lungs that have pneumonia. Uh, and this is a job that you know, lots of people, about a million people globally work as radiologists to examine x-rays. It now turns out that computers can do a better job detecting pneumonia than human radiologists can do. And so on the one hand, the million radiologists in the world are gonna to need to figure out how they <laughs> migrate their careers. And if, you, if any of you have children growing up to become radiologists, now's a good time to, to try to convince them to, to change careers. But on the other hand, it also means we can detect diseases more cheaply and more accurately and more globally. And, and this is really the story of the double-edged sword of, of technology. Technology, at the one hand, automates jobs but on the other hand, it improves productivity and can improve our lives. You know, when, when, the, when the loom was first invented, people used to, the most popular job used to be making cloth. Uh, and people said, oh my God, with this new machine, all the cloth makers will be out of work. Uh, and in fact, they are now out of work. Most of the cloth made is made via machines, but it means we can all afford clothing, whereas back, back before the loom was invented, clothing was just something that the, the wealthy could afford. Uh, or when the automobile was invented, people said, oh my God, all the people working in the work of horses, making roads for horses, managing stables, managing horse carriages are gonna be out of work, and they, they are out of work. When, when farm machining came uh, out, half of all people used to work on farms. Just 100 years ago, 50% of all jobs were in farming, and then 100 years later, all of that work has been changed. So 
the idea of having 150% of all jobs being replaced, that's common. That's happened many times in human history, and life goes on. The real question, and, and this is a multi-trillion dollar question, is not what the jobs of the future are going to be, but how do we prepare ourselves for them? And how does education react for a completely changing world? Now, you don't need to have a crystal ball to know what the jobs of the future are going to look like. All you need to do is to look about 16, 17 years into the past. If you look at those charts, those compare the work of 17 years ago to today, and you can see different bands. The top band is highly digital jobs. The next band is moderately digital jobs. And the bottom band is non-digital jobs. And you can see also that the highly digital jobs are the highest paying, and the moderately and lower non-digital jobs are the least low paying ones. Just imagine what that graph is going to look like in another 15 years. And that's the world that today's kindergarten or first grader student is going to be graduating into. And it's going to be a world where more than half of all jobs are highly digital. And almost all jobs are moderately or highly digital. And so the question is, when we know that that's what's going to happen, how should education react? Uh, advanced computing skills are becoming increasingly critical, not just in tech industries, but in all industries. And what's also changing is not just about technical skills being needed or computing skills, but creativity is increasingly important across all industries. And these things actually go hand in hand. Not all technical skills are, being, are growing in importance. It's the creative technical skills that are the most important. Uh, so what I'm talking about is about opportunity in a time of automation. But there's also another important message here, which is about the diversity of the tech force and who are the people who are getting a chance to do these jobs. And when you consider that we're going to be moving into a future where all jobs are increasingly digital, this is really about opportunity and, and creativity in a time of automation, and about diversity of the entire future workforce, and how we make sure that, that there's gender equality and racial equality in access to the jobs of the future. Now, if you look at today's tech workforce, it's about 75% male and 25% female. And this is something that's both in the workforce, it's in the university system, and it's also in K-12 computer science. My work and the work of everybody here is in K through 12. So what I think about is what can we do in the, in the primary and secondary education system to not only prepare students for the future of work, but also prepare them with gender equality and racial equality and equality of opportunity. So what's the role of education in all of this? Uh, there's a debate that I try to get people to have, which is not one of the debates we have in education. All the debates in education center around changing how we teach. Should we have more tests or less tests? Should we have longer school days or smaller classrooms? You know, are unions good or are unions bad? And these are all arguments about changing how we teach. The, the <coughs> question we should be having at a time of historic change is ch about debating what we teach. What do we expect students to learn? What are the subjects in the curriculum that are actually important for a life that starts, for a career that starts in 2030? A student that enters kindergarten today or first grade today, what should we give them that in 2030 when they graduate, they're actually ready for that world? You know, when I grew up, every student spent time learning basic arithmetic. And still today, every single <coughs> student spends at least two years of their life, one hour every single day, learning addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Now, these are important things to understand. But calculating something like this and knowing what the answer is I bet nobody in this room had to do that in their real world. 
that, that sort of a calculation is something we teach basic long division. Understanding division is important. Without division, you can't do fractions. Without fractions, you can't do algebra. And all sorts of things follow on from that. But doing it over and over and over and over to get good at it is no longer relevant. And we still spend six months of every child's life, every child, there's a, there's a billion children in the K through 12 system. Six months of all of their lives has been spent mastering long division, not because it's a foundational skill, but because it used to be a vocational skill. A hundred years ago, if you wanted to go into accounting, finance, engineering, insurance work, uh, almost any field that involves some kind of mastery of thinking required knowing how to do the arithmetic yourself, because what we didn't have is, is machines to do it for us. In fact, there was entire jobs you could get where all you did was wrote arithmetic. Uh, do you know what the title you'd have as your job title if you had that job? Your, your title in life would be computer. So <laughs> if you were really good at, at arithmetic, you could grow up one day to be a computer. Uh, now we have computers that do that work for us, and yet our school system still spends years of a child's life learning how to do the, this rote stuff. Uh, now, one of the things I ask is, why do we even teach the things we teach? You know, every child learns about the digestive system and how the body works. Every child learns about how electricity lights up a light bulb. Every child learns the basics of math. We don't just teach these things for children who want to grow up to become surgeons or electricians or mathematicians. We teach them to every kid to understand how the world around them works. In the same way, every child in today's world needs to learn how does the internet work? What is an algorithm? How does an app work? These are things everybody's going to be using all throughout their daily lives and careers, and yet our school system doesn't teach this subject. At a time of accelerating technological change, one of the most important subjects we can prepare students for is learning and adapting to new technology. Now, when we talk about technology, most schools in the world, uh, if they think about technology, are teaching students how to use technology. Throughout the world, there's now standards for teaching effectively use of computer applications, how to use Microsoft Word or how to use Adobe Photoshop. Throughout the world, there's classes in these things. But increasingly, these classes are unnecessary because technology is getting easier and easier to use. What's much more important is to teach students how to create technology, how to create their own apps, how to create their own uh, programs, websites, etc. And creativity is so important. It's what motivates us and yet it's not being taught in most education. Uh, if you're a fan of TED Talks, there's a talk by Sir Kent Robinson asking, do schools kill creativity? Not only is this a great talk, this is the most popular TED Talk of all time. It's had almost 100 million views, and people ask this question of, why isn't the school system teaching creativity? And part of the problem is, most people, when they think about creativity, they think about art or music, and when you think about art and music, the next thought they have is, there's not a lot of careers in art and music. You know, let's leave that for the kids who want to go down that path, but let's teach the real subjects that can get you into real jobs. Well, the, the, the next most creative field you can teach that also leads to the best paying jobs is computer science, which combines analytical skills with creativity and can teach you how to make art while also teaching math or other sort of hard skills. Uh, I want to show a great example of how you can actually do this with computer programming. This may be hard to follow on these small screens, so excuse me, I prepared this for a larger screen. Uh, but what you see here is a basic uh, computer programming screen. 
uh, where on the left is the space where our computer program will run. In the middle are the sort of tools that a student has, and on the right is the program they're going to create. And so a student can basically drag these blocks, and they can say, move forward, turn right, move forward. It's very simple commands. And if you click run, it'll draw a line and turn right. And then you can add a few more turns and moves. So you can just keep moving forward, turning right, keep moving forward, turning right. And if you do that over and over again, what you will get is a simple square. So by just dragging blocks together, we wrote a piece of code that draws a square, which is not really that impressive. But if you take that square, you can drag that code and put it into a function. And now you've got a function that knows how to draw squares. And you can call that function multiple times. And if you look at the code that's being dragged, now there's a repeat block saying, let's draw 120 squares. So 120 times you draw that function. And you can say, let's make every single one of them a different color. And so now we have code that will draw a square over and over again. And if you think about kids in the classroom, kids immediately want to know, can I do 1,000 squares? Can I do 10,000 squares? Uh, which, yes, you can, because a computer will do it as many times as you want. Uh, but what's now really interesting is you can add a three-degree turn. So every time you draw a square, you're going to change a three degrees between squares. And now if you see what the computer is drawing is this beautiful art of basically drawing squares and turning and changing colors to make a, a nice little fractal spirograph. The reason I'm showing this is that fractal thing that you created, that student is learning how to create functions and angles, which are things that we teach in math class, but this is a creative way of teaching the same topics. So by teaching students how to create using computer science, you get the benefits of teaching math and the motivational benefits of art at a time when schools are, creating, are killing creativity and students are getting bored because they're being told, put away your phones, put away the internet, don't talk to anybody, memorize this stuff, and you're going to need to pass a test. Here's a field that, that brings in the creativity, brings in the technology, and also leads to the best paying careers and the greatest, fastest growing opportunity in the world. Uh, now, my name and my organization is called code.org. My hat says code. But I'm actually not talking about coding alone. Uh, you know, because my organization is called code.org, a lot of places in education have now uh, been spreading the idea of teaching coding in schools. But we shouldn't just be teaching coding. We should be teaching computer science, uh, which in Europe is called informatics. It's a broader field than just coding. Computer science includes things like computer programming, of course, but computational thinking, uh, data science, networking, cybersecurity, robotics, machine learning. This is a complete field of study that belongs in the education system as part of the school day curriculum, right alongside things like algebra, biology, or chemistry. And yet, most schools don't teach computer science. Our vision is that every student in every school should have the opportunity to learn this field in primary and secondary school. But most schools don't even offer a single course. And if you're a student in over 90% of the schools in the world, you will never get exposed to this field that it leads to the jobs of the future and is also very creative. So the question I asked when I started Code.org five years ago is, how can we change the global education system? And so there's four pieces to driving global change. The first is starting by inspiring students and teachers and just getting the idea out there that this is important. The best way we found for doing this is using a campaign called the Hour of Code, which is a one-hour introduction to a field 
uh, and it's been an amazing success. The Hour of Code has now reached about 200 million students. Roughly 15% of all students on the planet have tried an Hour of Code, which is great as an inspirational start, but it's not enough. That's just the start of changing the education system. Step two is getting policy changed to basically either require or at least encourage schools to offer computer science in the school. And that's been happening all around the world now. But policy isn't enough because if you change policy, schools don't react. The teachers don't know how to teach computer science. So step three is creating online courses that are free that makes computer science accessible, whether using simple drag and drop coding in primary school all the way to more advanced uh, computer programming in, in secondary school. And then step four, the most important part, is workforce programs to retrain today's teachers. You know, we hear a lot about the future of work and retraining the workforce. The most important workforce to retrain is the teaching workforce, because they're the ones teaching and preparing a billion students for jobs that aren't gonna exist in tomorrow's world. And unless we retrain our teachers, the entire workforce of tomorrow is gonna be unprepared. Now, people regularly ask me, can today's public school teachers learn to teach computer science? You know, our schools are failing at teaching basic reading and math, and the teachers never learned computer science. Can they learn to teach a subject they never learned? Uh, the answer is a resounding yes. Uh, my organization has been doing this for five years now in the United States, and what we've learned in five years, almost 100,000 new teachers have been prepared to teach computer science when they never had it in their schools. Uh, over a third of all students in the United States now have an account on code.org, and the majority of them are young women and underrepresented minorities. And we've learned three things. The first is when you train teachers to teach computer science, we see an immediate five-fold increase in students studying it and a 10x increase among underrepresented minorities. So it's not a surprise that when you offered computer science in a school, it's now that it's available, students will study it. But the other really interesting thing is that resourceful teachers that have been using code.org in their schools see a direct correlation. The more they're teaching code.org, they see increased scores, improved test scores in reading and writing, math, and science. And we're not even teaching reading, writing, math, and science, but because students get engaged in the creativity and just the, the modernness of learning coding, their test scores improve in other fields as well. And then the third thing is that the students report that they enjoy computer science more than the rest of school. 70% of them want to continue studying it when they graduate. Uh, we live at a time when students mostly don't enjoy school, and here's a field that students, they report that they like it, it's their favorite class. In fact, in the United States, students now rank computer science their favorite subject behind only the arts. And remember I said, you know, when you think about creative classes, you think about dance and music and art. Computer science, because of its creativity, is the next most favorite thing for students to study. And the reason is because of the creativity. Whether it's creating a beautiful drawing like the one I showed you before, or by middle school, students learn how to create games. By high school, they learn how to create apps. That creativity is why students enjoy this field. And that's that creativity that is missing in almost every other subject that you think of in the school system. Students aren't making things, they're just memorizing stuff. In the words of one student, uh, you know, this is a seventh grader saying, I loved it, it was fun, I want to do it over and over again, I enjoyed the interactivity and how it felt to control things, it felt really satisfying, I wish we could do it every day. 
How many times have you heard a student say that about school? You know, <laughs> I wish I could do it every day. That's just not how students feel about school. Uh, or in the word of a teacher, uh, they said today's project was a slam dunk. The students came in right away and started talking about the project even before the bell rang. And when I tried to start the class and, and quiet down the students, the students I was quieting down were already talking about the project. So the teachers themselves also recognize that, that students are self-motivated around this stuff. Uh, and then my favorite quote comes from our most recent student uh, from two days ago. Uh, <laughs> Pope Francis became the first pope ever to write one line of code, uh, and his quote was that young people have imaginable, unimaginable power, they are creative. The, under, the idea of teaching creativity in schools is not a new one, but it's an increasingly important one, and most schools don't know how to teach creativity because we have to teach math and science and history and those types of things. Computer science is the solution to teaching creativity while teaching those subjects as well. The idea of teaching computer science in schools has become the most uncontroversial, fastest growing movement in education. It's the one thing that the teacher unions and the reformists agree on. Politicians from all sides of, 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 of politics agree on it. It's the only policy that the previous US president and the current US president agree on. Uh, it is uncontroversial. Uh, this is a movement that started with teachers whether it's teachers like Juan Lozano who decided that in his classroom he was gonna teach computer science, and teachers like Juan got the entire school to teach it, and then as this boiled up, entire regions and school districts started teaching it. In the United States, 48 states have now changed policy to begin teaching computer science. Globally, 33 countries have now changed policies or announced plans to teach computer science. So this is a global movement, uh, and in fact, today, Code.org is making a new announcement in terms of bringing computer science globally. So uh, we're actually, right after this talk, we're announcing broadening our curriculum platform and translating into the 10 most popular languages so, so code.org's free online courses can be taught globally and making them available offline because most of the world's schools don't have internet connectivity. So online classes are inaccessible in schools without high-speed internet. Uh, and we're also announcing pilots in Chile, Israel, Thailand, Argentina, Italy, Jordan, and Colombia. Uh, some of these countries have already gotten started. Some of these have never been teaching computer science. Uh, but basically, we're making this available for free, even in schools that don't have online access, to help them participate in the 21st century in this revolution. Uh, thank you. The problem we're trying to solve is that still most schools don't teach computer science. And I like to connect this to my personal story again. Uh, when I came to America, uh, I was a young immigrant. I, I was new to the country. I was new to the culture. My family was poor. And worst of all, I didn't know how to dress. I mean, look at those <laughs> white pants. Uh, so, uh, but what I was really good at is computer programming. And that helped me build a career for myself. And if you think of most of today's students, especially the ones from the most underprivileged backgrounds, the ones who are, who are not set up for a future of success, what are the things that we can teach them in our school system that will help them get ahead in life, help them build a career for ourselves? What are the subjects, what should we teach them when they come out of school? What skill can we prepare them with the most to have a future that they can be proud of and a future that makes them successful? And if you think about what are the subjects we can teach, the most important one we can teach for tomorrow's uh, future is computer science. 
because how it combines analytical hard skills with the creative skills. Uh, I lastly want to close by thanking the now over one million teachers on Code.org. The reason we've been successful is because globally teachers have adopted this cause as theirs, uh, and they're, the, they're doing the most important job in the world today. Uh, so thank you to all of our teachers. We have time for a few questions. So, uh, uh, well, first, I just want to thank you for an incredibly passionate talk about what you do. And you, know, you are making such a huge change culturally throughout the planet Earth. Like, it, it blows my mind, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> thank you. And it's wonderful how you're bridging the idea of the arts in with computer programming. And I hope you see that as well, that there is a place for it, I think, in a lot of our curriculum. So again, once more, th thank you very much, Hattie, for all the work that you've done. Thank you. Thank you. We got time for a few questions. Yep. I can repeat the question if it's not on. Hi. Okay, Jolene, Future of Life Institute. Um, so, if you had parents or teachers who wanted to create change on the local level, particularly those who don't have any familiarity with computer science, uh, what advice would you give to them about the first steps? And then also, what could they do to, to scale that? So for, for parents, the top thing I say is to ask your school to teach computer science. Parents always come to me and they want to find a summer camp or something like that. Where can I send my kids? And I tell them, you are already sending your kids to school and your school will, it's up to you to help make your school teach computer science. I mean, yes, you can put your, your kid in an after-school club, but you know, only a tiny fraction of kids will go to after-school clubs. Every kid goes to school. So the real question is, what can teachers do? Uh, for elementary age or primary school teachers, primary school teachers can just begin teaching this themselves. If you look at the courses on code.org, they're designed for a teacher who has zero experience. Even without any training, a teacher can begin teaching our courses, uh, and it takes one day of training to basically learn how to teach the Code.org courses if you want training, and it's available in many places in person, but the online training is also available globally. Uh, so the, the shortest answer for in primary school is to just start teaching it, and, and there's many options for free courses. Ours are the most popular in the, in the world. Uh, in secondary school, it's harder because there's not as much room in the secondary school schedule. Uh, and if you want to teach computer science in secondary school, you need to teach a year-long course, which means the school administration needs to get on board. Uh, and so what I recommend is for teachers to, to write their administration and get the administration to change to at least add an optional year-long computer science course. The curriculum, again, for that is now free. Uh, you know, five years ago before we started, it was difficult for a school to find free, accessible curriculum for a teacher that has no technical experience. Our courses are completely free, and they're designed for the teacher who has never taught computer science. Over here, we have one oh, right there. Yep, thank you. Uh, hi, Hadi. Uh, we met two years ago in Peru in a nice talk. Uh, congratulations for all your work. It's very thank cool you. to see you again. Um, one of the things I found in the recent years is that sometimes, and I mean, of course, one million teachers is amazing, but there's like uh, lots of million teachers that are afraid of going into computer science and don't see the opportunity or don't see the benefit. So like, my question goes to, like, have you made any kind of study of how their um, skills as a teacher or their uh, earnings improve after 
becoming a computer science even though they didn't have technical background? Thanks very much. Sure. Um, the first thing I'd say is actually teachers are among the fastest growing group to adopt computer science. And relative to the, the, the earlier question, it's school administrators and the policymakers are the ones that are actually the most scared of this. Teachers, by and large, they don't need to be convinced that this is the future. They, they're more waiting for their administration to catch up. Uh, and uh, you know, just on our platform, every single month, 20,000 new teachers decide to teach computer science, which is a very rapid pace of change. Uh, but there's 100 million teachers in the world, so even at 20,000 a month, it's, it's, we, it, we, we don't have enough years before the, the future is ready. Um, but what we have found is that what the resourceful teachers, the more they teach computer science, the more their students do better at the other subjects as well. And that is the one thing that administrations and policymakers already measure. So you know, throughout the world, people are testing students on basic math and reading and science. And if this is a way that can improve those scores while being fun for students, that's the most motivating thing for, this, for the teachers. So in some countries, the pay also is linked. Uh, but that's not a universal statement yet. But in every country, getting better test scores <laughs> helps a teacher, and this is one of the easiest and most fun and engaging ways to do that. I think we've run out of time, Hattie. Right. Thank you for again for a terrific talk. It, would you be willing to take some questions uh, afterwards? Yes, I'm free afterwards. Yeah. If so if you do have, to talk. please come on. But again, thank you so much for coming, folks, and thank you, Hattie. Thank you.